Matthew, Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, and today's traditionally been called Palm Sunday, and uh, some have traditionally thought that this incident that we're going to read about was on Sunday, it could have been, but we're going to look at what Jesus valued here on Palm Sunday, what Jesus valued on Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read verses 1 through... 1 through 16, this is a unique day, 2,000 years ago, as Jesus uh, is, this is the week He's going to be crucified, it's a week He's pouring a lot of time and teaching into His disciples, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of drama, a lot of emotion, a lot of exerting of energy mentally, emotionally, physically, and here He is coming, He's going to be coming into the city of Jerusalem, and He is going to fulfill some scripture He's going to be acknowledged as Messiah, and then days later, He's going to be rejected. But we're going to learn some of the things that He values here, even in just these 16 verses, and we want to adapt those same values. Look at Matthew 21. <clears throat> we'll read verses 1 through 16. <clears throat> Matthew 21, verses 1 through 16. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then set Jesus then sent Jesus two disciples saying unto them go into the village over against you and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her loose them and bring them unto me and if any man say aught unto you ye shall say the lord hath need of them and straightway he will send them all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying tell ye the daughter of sion Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees, and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? This is a great passage. This is uh, so much is uh, going to be happening in the last week of Jesus' time on earth before his death. He'll spend time on earth after that. So much is happening. But again, I'll just kind of our theme today is this. We're looking at this passage. We're thinking, what are what is we see just in this snapshot the things that Jesus values, and the essential the 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 essence of being a Christian is is, is twofold: is you put your faith in Jesus Christ, 
that He died for you, He took a punishment for you that you can't handle because otherwise you'd go to hell. Being a Christian is putting all your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, trusting Him fully with all your heart, not a church or yourself. And the second aspect of being a Christian is, is saying, whatever he likes, I want to like. Whatever he does, I want to do. Whatever he hates, I want to hate. That's being a Christian. And we're going to see a little snapshot of his values today, the things that Jesus valued. When I was younger, I had um, my dad, there's two things that happened. My dad had a very nice vehicle. It was a 1987 S10 Chevy Blazer. <clears throat> he customized it. He made a custom uh, he made it into a panel. Some of you guys might picture this as a short S10 Blazer. He made it into a panel vehicle. He paneled off the back windows. He teardropped the side windows, and he painted it this bright uh, yellow color, had a special <clears throat> lettering on the side, and he lowered it. Later on, he put a ground effects kit on it. He did a lot of stuff to it, and I'm not lying. <clears throat> this, this was in uh, Truckin' Magazine. It won uh, a, a World of Wheels uh, first place. Uh, at a car, uh, car show, a couple of them, and he got a lot of attention. Uh, but my dad would have done it even if he didn't get in magazines. He just likes cool stuff, you know. He would have done it if nobody cared. He'd be like, yeah, I like that, you know. My dad just likes the cool stuff, you know. I mean, going to his house, you'll see cool little things painted that nobody sees. I'm like, look at my dad. He's painting a little thing around his, his uh, kitchen table. That's really cool, you know. But my dad had this really nice S10 Blazer. It was a show. It was a show car quality, and he but he drove it to work and everything. But one of the things my dad had in the back of it was um, it was a um, he had a bag, and he'd have like in this bag, it was like a black bag. He'd have like a a duster, you know, to dust a light duster. I mean, you got to be real light. You don't just wipe dust. You lightly dust. He had a couple rags, had some armor all and something in there with a, a pad to, to do the tires and maybe a few tools, just a few things in there. And that was his little detail bag, and Dad would have that. I noticed he had that in there. <clears throat> well, then around that time, I don't know, I was probably eighth grade or something. My, I was blessed in that. I can't remember if it was birthday or Christmas, but I got a Cannondale bike, mountain bike. Cannondale's a nice bike. And it wasn't a full size. It was just a little bit smaller. I think I was, like I said, about seventh or eighth grade. Got a Cannondale mountain bike, really nice, and um, I uh, I remember thinking, man, I'm gonna take good care of this thing. And so I was like, huh? you know, I'm gonna keep the tires looking good and keep it clean and oil the the chain and you know didn't have to change the oil. I didn't have to you know wasn't like it was a car. But I thought, you know, and I and I think about how my dad took care of his his blazer and had the little detail bag. And I think about my Cannondale and I thought, I'm gonna get a little bag. So I had one of these little bags. There's a fanny pack in the back of the seat, you know, for my bike. And put it behind the seat, and I put, I don't know, something in there, a little rag. I didn't really need it. Looking back, I'm like, I didn't need any of this stuff. But I had a little, a little rag back there, and maybe a couple tools, a couple other little things, and maybe, I don't know what it was. I had a few little things. I'm like, well, when I, I, I just need to use this stuff to, to take care of my bike and oil something and turn a wrench and fix something, you know. I, I just had a few little things back there because I thought, I need that. I need to have a little, little, little side deal like Dad. I mean, Dad had this to take care of what he's got. i got to have something. And then I remember one of my friends was like, what do you got that for? What is that, man? I was like, it's kind of like my little detail bag. He's like, what are you going to do when it starts raining? You're going to pull it out and just be like, why? why? I'm like, maybe, you know. And that's how it was. And I thought, well, that's just kind of like, you know, my dad, I didn't say this, but my dad likes, I'm going to take care of my stuff. 
And so, in looking back, I'm like, you know what, there was this way, sometimes consciously or unconsciously, you will adapt the values of somebody you're following. You'll adapt their values consciously or unconsciously. That's why we got to think, who am I been following? <laughs> who am I following in my friendship, in-person friendship, in my uh, social media friendship? Who am I following? Because you will eventually start reflecting their values. Now, the thing is today, as we look, we're going to walk through this passage. We're going to see seven values that you can take a note. We'll be a little longer on some points, a little shorter on some. We see ten, pardon me, we see seven values of the Lord Jesus Christ just as we look at just this passage, these 16 verses. And the, the issue is for us, it's safe to embrace His values. It's safe to embrace His values. Um, we're going to see the first value is that He valued fulfilling Scripture. Secondly, we're going to see that He valued using a meek vessels. Thirdly, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, he valued purifying his Father's house. Fourthly, we see that Jesus values helping the helpless. Fifthly, we're going to see that he values hearing the praise of children. Sixth, we're going to see that Jesus values loving those who are going to forsake him in a few days. And last of all, we'll see in the greater picture of the rest of the book, we see that Jesus values paying for our sins no matter how difficult it is. Those are the values of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're Christians, and so we want to embrace His values, recognize them and embrace them. So consider this. Number one, as we consider the text, we consider the values of the Lord Jesus Christ that we should be interested in as a Christian. Number one, Jesus valued fulfilling Scripture. Notice here these verses, verses 1 through uh, 4. It says, As they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to of his disciples, okay? So what they're doing is they're close to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's like the big place to go. It's the capital. It's where things are happening. Outside of Jerusalem is a few villages. One of them is this one we just mentioned. And Jesus, as he's going up to it, he has to, he has to go into the city at this moment, at this time, a certain way. And I'm not going to get too off track, but I believe some prophecies of Daniel, at least one prophecy of Daniel is about to be fulfilled right here of the... Uh, the 69th week of Messiah about to be cut off. So there's certain things that are going to get done exactly how they ought to as he's approaching Jerusalem. Jesus knows the word. It's his word. He knows all the scriptures. He knows what must needs be fulfilled. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he realizes, no, wait. He tells his disciples, okay, guys, let's go over to this area, to this village, go over to this area. You're going to find a donkey and her colt tied they're going to be together. Go, go take them. If the owners come out and say, hey, what are you doing? As you take them, say, the Lord needs this, and they're going to let you take it. And so, they, and so that's what was going to happen. And the reason is that Jesus does this is because it says in verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, look at the next verse, Tell you the daughter of Sion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Verse 6, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. He's like, this seems like kind of a minor detail. Why don't he just go marching into Jerusalem? He was going to do everything that was prophesied of him, and he did. There was a prophet that was quoted, I think it was Zechariah. What are the minor prophets? We call them minor prophets. If you were to go backward in your, the Bible there into the Old Testament, 
he prophesied, hey, Israel, when your king comes, when he comes, he's not going to be coming on, coming on a white racehorse. That's coming later. We see that. But when he first comes, it's going to be very meek. It's going to just be a real small burro. Real small burro. Donkey. There's the mother and then the little one. Burrito. Huh? It's little burro. You got a burrito today? It means little donkey. I contend Jesus needed a burrito. I need one too. He needed, he needed the, the burro ito. Okay, so he needed the little, the little donkey. Because the prophet said when he comes into Jerusalem, it's a signal. Hey, Israel, hey, when you're looking for your king, he's going to come in this way. He's going to come in, in a me- um, with terms of peace, peacefully, meekly. That way when they see, oh, the prophet's, the prophet's right, here he comes, and there'll be no question when they see him, oh, this is our Messiah. So Jesus valued doing exactly what the Scripture said, fulfilling the Scriptures. So the Bible says, verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, verse 7, and brought the ass and the colt. And our understanding is that he rode on the, little, the colt, if you compare it with the other Scriptures, and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that cried followed, uh, that for, pardon me, that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And what, the, what those terms are saying is, this is our Messiah. They're saying, save us now, Lord. We recognize you as the Messiah. Here's the point. Jesus wanted to do exactly what the Scripture commanded. He was going to fulfill it. You know, we should... People, don't ever let somebody say, oh, you just a little, you know, you care about whatever the Bible says. It's always the Bible. You know, I'm going to be like Jesus. Look, I'm not... I don't don't understand the whole Bible. I, I fail on it. But I'm going to care about every word of God. The Bible, Jesus himself says, you know, if you, if you despise one of these even least commandments and teachments, so you're going to be called least in the kingdom of God. I should value every word of God, and I want to do it the best I can. You know, there was one guy, I read about a guy, he was in a church, and he says, Pastor, I want you to know I'm going to be going to, I'm going to take a trip to Israel. I'm going to go over to Mount Sinai. We're going to find Mount Sinai. And I really look forward. I want to go up to Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to go right up Mount Sinai, and I'm going to open my Bible, and I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. I can't wait to get over there. It's going to cost me some money. It's going to get, but, you know, it's going to take me time. But I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to read it. He goes, you know, I could save you some money. Why don't you just stay home and keep them? You know, I mean, maybe the guy was going to go there anyways, but he's saying, look, it's not, don't get too excited about saying the Bible, giving a, a uh, you know, acknowledgement of, of, of the Bible that it's God's word. It's, it's, a value to, it's of more value to, to keep it. We should be doers of the word and not hearers only. Here Jesus is doing the word, even something that seems maybe minor. 
So he fulfills Scripture. And that's what we want to do is, is, is value, you know, whatever the Bible says, that's what I want to do. I want to recognize. I want to understand. I want to perceive. And I want to follow. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Number two, he, we see another value of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he's using a meek vessel. I believe this donkey is symbolic of what God uses. He's using a donkey, a little donkey. And he gets a lot of glory in this, in this moment. He, I'll take the donkey, he sits on the donkey and he rides and, and it accomplishes God's purpose. Using a little donkey. Anybody ever sat on a donkey? All right. I've, I've told you, I've been bucked off of a donkey before. Yeah, it wasn't fun, but I was, I was bucked off of a horse before, and I was bucked off of a donkey, both at two different camps. It's not good. It's not good. Anyways, um, a donkey is, is there's, it's, a, it's kind of a plain animal. It's, it's, uh, they, they use it for work. Um, there's, it's kind of like having a little pickup truck, you know? It might not drive very fast, but it can haul some things, and you know, they're useful. But they're they're they they're not they're not as fancy, and you know what you might be all excited about is having a racehorse. Look at this stallion right here. Oh, there's my donkey over there. Yeah, yeah. But the donkey can still do something. And in this case, the donkey. Just imagine being this donkey. The ultimate life. He gets to walk would carry Jesus Christ into the city. And Jesus Christ gets all the praise, and Jesus Christ gets all the attention. And he didn't have to do much. The donkey didn't. But just don't say much. Just walk and let him ride and walk him in and let him get all the glory, and he did his job. And that's symbolic of our life. We don't have to be much. You don't have to be a stallion, a racehorse. You know, God's chosen the foolish things of the world and things that are weak and things that are nothing to bring to nothing, things that are, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 1. We don't have to be much by way of worldly wisdom, worldly riches. You don't have to be that. If you are, you better use it wisely, but we don't have to be that. But we, what we do have to be is somebody who's willing to just let Jesus get a lot of attention in our life. And if he gets the glory, then, then he's pleased with that. Just be a donkey for him. He likes to use meek vessels. Uh, the meek, there's a psalm, I don't remember, I think it's maybe in Psalm 25. You know what it says? The meek, will he teach judgment? The meek, will he show his way? God's looking for the meek to do something special with. We see the Lord Jesus Christ using a meek vessel in this donkey. I think it symbolizes a Christian who should have an element of meekness to their life. Number three, we see he purifies. What else does he value? He values, he, he, pardon me, he, he values purifying the Father's house. Notice these words now. He goes into the temple, verse 12. So he comes into the city. They acknowledge him as Messiah. And it kind of creates a little bit of a, a little excitement. But he goes right to the temple, verse 12 says. Jesus went into the temple of God. And he's cleaning house. Yeah. He cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. You know, sometimes, I mean, my kids know. My wife's, I hope my wife's watching right now. She's not feeling well on Facebook. But she will go into the boys' rooms. And <laughs> she's cleaning 
the room. There's one of my boys' room. There's, there's constantly Legos coming in and making, uh, <laughs> it's just cluttering. There's, she goes in there and she says, oh, there's too many Legos. And where she's going out through the Legos and purifying the house. You're purifying the room of Legos. And, and when, oh, don't take my Legos, Gideon, or not Gideon, but I mean, uh, uh, Noah. Gideon didn't really do that. Noah, he's, no, Gideon, no, I'm putting them up or I'm selling them. Oh, you know, we have to just kind of streamline and keep it, keep it cleaned out a little bit. Going in the garage. All right, we're cleaning out the garage, you know. And, and I'm with her on that. I'm not saying we're on different opposite sides here. But I just thought of that, like Jesus is coming in. This is something much more important here. The Father's house, the temple. He's coming in. He's like, this is my Father's house. And you know what's interesting? Jesus came in as if it's his Father's house. He didn't say, hey, guys, can I come in and go to check with the high priest? Hey, is it okay if I... No. He is the high priest. They're all a shadow of him. And it's his Father's house. And he walks in like, I don't have... This is my house. I don't, I don't ask permission to come into my house. I'm speaking to myself. I come into my house, you know. And Jesus comes into his house, his father's house, being his house also. And he, says, he just starts doing business. Hey, get out of here. Flipping over. We don't need to. You can do business. Do it out there. You can sell. Do it out there. You can do your little trading of the making your money off of your buying the uh, people conveniently, getting their Sac- their doves and their animal sacrifice. You can do- just get it out of here. This is, this is a place. It's a little more simple in here. I want to keep it a little more focused. And uh, There's the incense that should burn. There's some prayers that should be had. There's some basic sacrifice. There's some showbread. And there's a once of a year, a sprinkling of the blood behind that veil. There's some very basic things that happen in my father's house. And it's not merchandise. It's not this. Merchandise is fine out there. And so he comes in and he values purifying his father's house to just make it what it was meant to be. is meant to be a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of confession, a place of drawing nigh to God. And merchandise was to be somewhere else. And, uh, I, I, uh, and so for us, we got to think, no, look, we're a church. We are an imperfect church. But one thing I'm taking from this as a principle I want to keep us simple, keep it as much um, what, you know, I want it to be uh, follow whatever God intended a New Testament church to be. I want us to be not more, not less. And I'm still trying to discover that and always find out if that's what we are and take away what's necessary in our practice, in our things and add what is necessary and just be simple church and not let the, his house, this is the house of God, according to 1 Timothy. The church is the house of God, not necessarily the building, but the congregation of the New Testament is called the house of God, the pillar and ground of truth. To make it, this is, it's in what it should be in all its simplicity. We had a lady come yesterday. This was about two hours before we had a memorial service yesterday. And... Uh, I won't tell you everything, but one of the things that she came a little older, had some, had some concerns about something and was asking about the church. And um, there's a, something she's need, dealing with in her life. And um, she's like, I just want to know a little bit about the church. I said, okay. Talk came in. My son was here. So we talked a little bit. And <clears throat> she said, um, I just... Um, 
she asked kind of what we're doing and everything. She said, I just need, um, just need a place with just some people. I think she'd been quarantined a lot. She said, um, I said, well, where have you been going? And she said she named it, and there was a couple places. And she said they, I'm just being totally honest with you. She goes, they have a, they're just, this is a woman pastor. I just didn't think that's right. She said to me, I said, well, that's not what Paul said to, is the qualifications of a bishop. And then she said, now we're getting a gay pastor. And I just didn't think that was right. Yeah, it's, uh, that's not right. And then she said, I went to my other so-and-so's church, and it was just a lot of just stuff and show. And I said, well, you know, we're not perfect. I said, we're trying to keep it simple around here. We're, there are people you can talk to. And we have, you know, we're always trying to do things things the best we can, and we have improvement, but it's pretty basic. She goes, I need basic. I said, okay, come on over then. <laughs> and it made me think kind of this passage. Jesus kind of made the, t- the, the house of God, the Father's house, basic again. It was all cluttered with f- whatever the Pharisees were doing and some of these other, he's like, get out of here. He just flipped, can you imagine that? Yeah. Flipping over the tables, mm. flip that over. You know, I don't know what was happening with the um, animals flying everywhere, whatever. You know, he could just, he has a right to do it. And what we see here is not that we should go in and, and, and um, um, be, I don't think Jesus was, see, some people are like, see, this is an instance when Jesus is angry. I don't, maybe I haven't seen it, but I, I, I see that he's, he's uh, under control. And he's just, as mat, he's just matter of fact. Flip this over, flip this over. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. It's written that it should be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And, and they went out and he cleansed it. And it just shows his value. He wants it simple. Purifying his father's house. And that should be for us. We want to keep things simple around here. We want to have um, worship, instruction, serving one another, evangelism, simple stuff. That's what we want. Number three, we see another one of his values is this. He's helping the helpless. And notice verse 14. After the temple is cleansed of all of its nonsense, look what happens. The blind and the lame came in, came to him in the temple, and he healed them. I wonder if they couldn't get in before. The blind and lame blind trying to make his way to the temple, the lame trying to limp his way to the temple or be carried. No, you can't get in here. Why? Well, we got this guy over here with the doves. We got this guy over here with the other thing. Got this guy. This guy's changing the money. I can't get to the... uh, Perhaps that was what stopped it. I see kind of an order here. But nevertheless, whatever the case, what do we see of Jesus? It's not something we can heal. We can't heal, but look what he does. The blind and lame came to the temple He healed them. He did what he could do. He helped these that are helpless. Somebody says, God helps those who help themselves. In this case, God helped those who couldn't help themselves at all. Except show some way of help me. 
So he's helping the helpless. Let's got to think about that. How can I be of a help to those that are helpless? When people are, they're at the end of themselves in their emotions, find a way to help. When people are blind in their not knowing what to do, find a way to help. When people maybe have literally a physical malady, now find a way to help. Now I know not everybody, some people are like, you might as well hug a cactus. Some people, it's hard to help them, and you might just need to leave them alone. But there's others that it's like they want some help, and Jesus helped those that are open to his help, I should say. That's one of his values, helping the helpless. Number five, here's a, uh, he hears the praise and enjoys the praise of children. Look at this. It says the blind and lame came into the temple. He healed them. Then verse 15 says, look at verse 15. It says, and when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he was very much happy. So whatever the scenario was, he's at the temple and kids are just saying, Hosanna, I mean, they're doing their own little song. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save now, save now. And you said that to the Messiah. That's what the prophets led us to, lead us to think. You say Hosanna to the one who's the Messiah. To the son of David was a title for Messiah. So the little kids are saying, there's our Savior, there's our Savior, there's our Savior. Yay, yay, look what he did. He healed that blind guy. Now that blind guy can see me and I can't tease him anymore. He healed that guy that's slipping. Now, I, you know, they're just whatever. They're praising God for the wonderful things he's done. There's, there are these little kids, little kids. They're doing an impromptu choir here, uh, running around singing. And these highfalutin uh, Pharisees are going, we don't like the sound of this. It's embarrassing them. These Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees who were educated, powerful, the Sadducees were running most of, most of what was going on in the temple, and the Pharisees were very influential. And here are these little kids calling Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, and they refused to call him that, even though he proved it very clearly. And it was like embarrassing. Quit it. Shut up, kid. Shut up. Would you tell, do you hear, they go to Jesus, do you hear what these kids are saying? Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yes. Hear exactly what they're saying. I think one of the other Gospels says, if these should hold their peace, even the rocks would cry out. I think it was in Luke or something. I was reading that the other day, and I thought, man, if I was there, and Jesus said, if these would be quiet, the rocks would cry out, I almost want to tell him, Jesus, tell them to be quiet. I want to hear what the rocks say. You know, but anyways, that's another thing. I want to hear that. That sounds cool. You know? But anyways, Jesus said, they need to say this. Have you ever read in the in the uh, in the Old Testament, how that God gets glory from the praise of children. He ordained, he selected praise from the mouth of babes. Notice the verse there, verse 16. Have you never read, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise? Jesus likes to hear the praise of kids. Now you can hear a little bit of a, something that was going on a few minutes ago and some of us are maybe dismayed at it. I don't know, you know, maybe, I don't know if that was a, praise if that was, if boys can be louder than girls. I don't know what that was, but, you know, we, we, we want, we do want our kids to learn to, to praise God, not just be loud and rowdy. We want our kids to learn to praise God, and we should value that. If they sing well, say, hey, you did a good job. 
If you played well, hey, you did a good job. Do it for Jesus. Not just because, because adults will smile at you and say, oh, you're so cute. Do it for Jesus. Because he wants that praise and he deserves it. Jesus values hearing the praise of children. So should we. Number six. Jesus here, we see him value and his value in that he's loving those who will still forsake him in a few days. He's loving people who are going to forsake him in a few days. Again, this is kind of the big picture. Here he is, he comes into Jerusalem. He rides on the little donkey. The the palm leaves are are in the way. He's sitting on clothing that's on the donkey and on the other one. And and he rides over the palm. And all the people, there, there were adults also. And then the kids we hear particularly in the temple. Hosanna to the son of David. Here's the Messiah. Here's our Savior. Save now. Save us now. Save us now, Lord. And he, can, and he gets all this praise, and it creates an uproar. And people are like, whoa, what's going on over there? What's all that crowd? They said, hey, this is the, the one, Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet. He's the, he's the Messiah. And he goes in, and, and so he's getting this attention. He's getting this praise, and he goes into the temple, and the same thing, heals people, and, and the children say that. But, you know, very likely the same people, the same crowd, could have been, was likely among those who said a few some days later, within this week, crucify him, crucify him. So he's getting, the, it's like you're going from here to here. Love him, hate him. But he still loves people who he knows are going to hate him. He's, now watch this. What, let's get this. Jesus is with 12 disciples. One of them is a devil, is a liar. That's Judas. He knows it, but he's still calls him friend. He still works with him. Peter thinks he's a big shot and he finds out he's not. And the other ones, they all forsook him and fled. But even in this moment, he loves them. He knows they're going to fizzle in a few days. And worse, he knows the crowd's going to turn against him in a few days. But he still loves people. He didn't come and say, I know what all you people are going to do. Oh, just be quiet, you hypocrite. You watch what you're going to be like in a couple days. He, he, he just, he knows the weakness. He knows our frailty. You know, we are all weak. We're weak. Sometimes you've ever have a day, you're like, man, I feel strong in my mind. I feel strong in my body. I feel strong in my emotions. I got it handled. Yeah, you have days like that. And then you have days where you're real weak and you could do some bad stuff. We're weak. And he still loves me on both of those days. And, uh, you know, he loved Peter. Peter denied him three times. And he still loves Peter. Here's the point for us is that I need to learn to love those who I know are, will probably fail my expectations. Who will probably, maybe they'll forsake me, but I'm going to love them. Who maybe are fickle back and forth and back and forth like Jesus dealt with with people. But I'm going to love them. The whole point of all this is, what is Jesus like? What does he value? That's what I'm going to do. Those are the things I'm going to pack in my bag of my character, you know. Whatever that is that we see in him. Loving those who he knows will still forsake him, who are fickle, who vacillate. The disciples were some of that, and the crowd was. Number seven, the last thing, is we see that um, Jesus values paying the price for our sins, no matter what the cost. 
and, and I don't have like one proof text. It's the rest of the book. <laughs> the rest of the book. Do you see how much he spends a lot of time teaching his disciples and then he goes to the cross and he pays the price. I, have you ever had a really long week? Some of you are like, yeah, the last 24 hours was a long week for me. You know, <laughs> Some of us get like that. You, know, you have a day that feels like it's a week. This is a long week for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to follow, he poured a lot of teaching, a lot of personal time into the disciples. He's teaching this and that. He's confronting Sadducees and Pharisees. In fact, we're going to look at Matthew 23 one of these times in the weeks ahead. Boy, we got to get purged of Phariseeism. He goes at the Pharisees. He's, 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 he's confronting Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees. And he's, he's mentoring his disciples one-on-one. He, go, he's, he gets... He goes to the garden. He had hardly. We had the Passover. Shows the Lord's table. Didn't have hardly much sleep. In fact, I don't think he had any sleep. He was betrayed that night, at, and 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 taken, and all night passed along to this this hall and that hall. Herod and sees Pilate, and he's passed around chief priests. And later, by by nine o'clock that next morning, hadn't slept. He's up on a cross. I mean, he the cross is the torture. But going into it, it wasn't like, all right, I'm ready for this. Okay. He was depleted and uh, praying in the garden, great, as it were, great drops of blood uh, was like his, his sweat was like. And so, but, but he says um, that all things, these things must be done, that the scriptures should be fulfilled. And he was going to pay the price for our sins no matter what the cost. And then being propped up on the cross and pinned and, uh, uh, I believe right under here on his hands and through his feet and uh, six hours up on a cross and having your back already been shredded by the, the whipping and plaited a crown of thorns and your friends are gone. And you see your mother later on standing out there all sad of what's happening to you and you call on John, one of the disciples who came back to take care of her. And then you have a, one thief on this side, one thief on that side, start they're, they're up on a cross too, and they start trash-talking you. This is what happens. You compare them to, they start, hey, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you save yourself and us? You know, and these guys deserve to be there. One of the guys, I don't remember if it was left or right guy, one of them ended up changing his mind and saying, hey, we deserve to be up here. He doesn't. And this one guy, probably whatever hand he was on, this other thief repented on the cross and trusted Jesus as a Savior, and he was with Jesus that day in paradise. But Jesus is on this cross. All this, a lot of drama, a lot of drama in a week. And he's being tortured. He's hanging up on the cross. And he is God, and he is man, but he was, he was man in that he would feel everything that we could possibly feel, emotionally, physically. And he's up on a cross, and he's there, and they offer to deaden it with some of the vinegar or whatever. He's refused that. It's going to feel all the way to this pain. Everything gets dark. And he has this sense that the Father's distancing himself from him. And that was meant to be for that moment, for that moment of this mystery of this crucifixion of Christ having all the sins on him, atoned for on him. And the Father, in what a lot of theologians say, turned his back while Christ was taking the sins. And that's when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Also fulfilling a statement of Scripture. But Jesus, what a cost. And then he gave up the ghost, of course. Gave up his life. 
what a cost, so that we could be out of debt with God. Jesus did the, the right thing for us, even though it was difficult. You know, paying for our sins, and by the way, it's all that great work done here. You might be here to say, oh, that's wonderful. Maybe somebody watching on Facebook, that is just a wonderful way of putting it. That's just how it is. And maybe have a tear in your eye. But it doesn't mean anything to you. You don't get any benefit to it unless you humble yourself. And with your own mouth, absent from any church sermon, with your own mouth, confess Jesus Christ as your Savior. Ask, call on Him to be your Savior. Then all what I said benefits you. Else it's just a religious thought. It's a correct theological thought, but it's not personal to you. As many as received him, each person received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So Jesus did what was difficult for us. I read about David Livingston, a letter. He was a famous missionary to Africa. Somebody once sent him a letter. And by the way, he trailblazed things into Africa. He did missionary work. He also did some... He, was, he fought against slavery among the Muslim uh, tribes there that were trying to enslave the Africans. And um, he did a lot of that. But um, when he was there, David Livingston in, in, in Africa received a letter and it said this, quote, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you in your work. His reply was, If you have, if you have men who will come... Only if there's a good road, I don't want them. I want those who will come if there's no road at all. <laughs> it's like, if they're going to do this, they're going to do it no matter how hard it is. And that's how it was with the Lord Jesus Christ. It was as hard. He confined himself to humanness in this. He's like, well, he's God. He can do anything. I know, but he confined himself to humanness in this. And so the point for us is like, I, if there's something that's right to do for another person, I need to do it, even if it's hard. If there's something that's difficult, if it's right, I'm going to do it. Because Jesus in the Bible says, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. Consider him that endured, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. Uh, run with patience the race that's set before you, looking unto Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So if there's something hard, ah, oh, man, I got to talk to this person. Oh, man, I got to, I got to deal with this relationship, but it's hard. Oh, man, I need to, I need to get honest about this thing, but it's difficult. Whatever it is, do right, no matter how hard it is. That's what Jesus did. Adapt his values. That's what makes us Christians. That's what makes us Christians is is trusting him and adapting his values. You know, sometimes I, I, I. We're, we're a tr- kind of a traditional Baptist church here, um, and I, I'm glad to be identified with that. But sometimes people have said, you know, what kind of, you know, what kind of church are you? And I get a lot of different questions. Are you, you know, uh, you independent, fundamental, Bible-believing soul-winning, separated, gospel-preaching, sin-hating, devil-fighting, chicken-fried-eating, Baptist church. Like, yeah, we're that. The next time I get asked that, I'm going to say, and we're Christians too. Because that's what matters, right? 
And that's what we're looking at today is, the, is our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer.